thank you all so very, very much. We're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series through Romans, and uh, this is the sermon series is called Righteousness Revealed. I do want to remind you, as you can see on the screen, that they put up the information about the podcast. If you do miss any services, you can always go back and check out uh, the previous sermons on the podcast, and uh, that way you can make sure you don't miss anything and continue. Uh, This particular service, our sermon series is Righteousness Revealed, which is great because it does go perfectly um, with our our Galatian series, right? So we're talking about grace and righteousness, and I just want to put this in your head, that moving forward as a Christian, that is how you move. You go down a train track of grace and righteousness. You are required to have God-type or Jesus-type righteousness to move forward in your God calling. So when God calls you to do something, he calls you forward in the mindset that you would need to qualify by righteousness. But we don't have righteousness that qualifies us of our own. We are not perfect. The kind of righteousness that God requires is perfection. But we can't achieve that. That's the whole reason we're here. That's the whole reason we read the Bible. That's the whole reason why we call unto God on the cross and say, please forgive us. But here's the next thing. God's grace comes in. And God's grace provides. And God's grace calls. And God's grace leads and says, go. And even when you don't feel perfect, he says, I will be the perfection in you. I will provide. And so we go down this train track moving forward and go, it's not me that is guiding this, this path. It's not my ambition. It's not my design. It's God's. And I'm following him through his grace and through his righteousness. And wherever that takes me, the outcome will be great. And so this particular uh, verse is going to be Romans chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 16 through 25. Um, bef- as you're turning there, I'm going to read out of Hebrews 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as you're turning. And I just want you to hear something as you're flipping. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and at many times in various ways, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir to all things, and through whom he made the universe. So that's the precedence that we've been setting through the book of Romans. The entire, that's Romans chapter 1. Who's in charge? God's in charge. How do we know? He created the world and we didn't. He created the universe and we didn't. And who holds the universe together? God. So I think it would behoove us to stop and listen to see what he has to say. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided the purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The reason I read that is to, I want you to hear what Jesus did. Jesus has said through the word, through the gospel, he said, I'm in charge. God gave me all authority. I am the one that holds everything together by my word. And then you know what I did? I took care of your sins. I purified you with my blood. You did not do that. I did that. And the moment that I did that, I went to the right hand of the Father. I sat down and I rested. Why? Because the work was done. It's finished. It's complete. I have done it. And now, as I sit in my majesty, this is the Lord speaking to you, the, my glory is you have been purified and you have been brought close and the lost prodigal children that are in this room right now are drawn in by what? Grace and righteousness that's been poured out to you from the cross, which means we don't have to do that work. We need to sit next to Jesus Christ and rest ourselves. 
And that's where the frustration builds in. If, if we try to live by our own righteousness, if it's by our righteousness, we can also fail by our righteousness. If we can succeed by our righteousness, we can fail by our righteousness. And that's what the Lord is trying to tell us through these words. Not trying. He's exactly telling us what we're trying to understand is this. What is it to be righteous? That word righteousness, what does that actually mean? And that word means to be in right standing with God. Righteousness is right standing with God. And so you have to ask yourself, how do I get there? How do I get there? From the very beginning of time, from Job, if you understand, if you ever read Job chapter 9, he even says, how do I become, how does a man become righteous before the Lord? Then Job is one of the first people that ever, you know, had a book written about him. And then Abraham had that question, how do I be justified? And from the very beginning, the Lord said, by faith. By faith. You see, our foundation of our, of our way of life, our worldview as Christians, is that we have faith in Jesus Christ. We have faith in the Lord. And look, I want you to see, um, if you were to read the rest of Hebrews, we're going to put this uh, on the screen. I want you to see how the Old Testament, this is not, you know, not just a New Testament, Old Testament thing. Sometimes we can look at the New Testament and be like, see, the New Testament's great because we got Jesus and we got faith. But in the Old Testament, it was works and they killed a lot of lambs. And they did a lot. It was really bloody. You know, we don't have to do that. And all, all we have to do today is just believe. We have to believe. But back then, they had to try. They had to work. And there may be some kind of truth on the surface, but I want you to see how God saw it spiritually. Every single person that's listed here in Hebrews chapter 11, which is also known as the Hall of Faith. This is like the Hall of Fame of faith. Look what it says. By faith, Abel. That was like right after Adam and Eve. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. Just think about Noah's story. How much did he go on faith? How much was he justified by faith? The Lord showed up and spoke and said, this is what I promise. This is how I'm going to deliver. And did Noah see it? No, he only had to go by faith. Look at Abraham. That's who were the case study all through the book of Galatians is Abraham. Faith, faith, faith. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Think about Joseph all the way through his life from being grabbed by his brothers and thrown in a pit and then thrown into Potiphar's house, and then thrown into prison. And then what do you have to do? I don't really, I can't look at my condition. I can't look at my situation. I can only look at the faithfulness of God. Because God, I know you have a plan. And then that's how he was able to stand before his brothers when he's finally, the brothers that abandoned him, the brothers that sold him into slavery and betrayed him, when he finally stood before them as an Egyptian ruler, and they came into his you know, courtroom, and they were there standing before him, and they wept when they finally realized that it was their brother that was now in control of their life. He said, no, 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 no. God, what you intended for evil, God used for good. Why? Because I, my God's been faithful to me, but he's also been faithful to you. That's amazing. You would say, of course he's been faithful to Joseph. Joseph's been hanging on and trying to behave. He's been trying to be a good boy all his life, and regardless of what's happened. But what about his brothers? God was just as faithful to his brothers as he was to Joseph. There's some people in this room right now that if we were to take a score of our lives, some of us would be on the brother side. Some of us would be on the Joseph side of how, our, how we're behaving and how we're acting. And yet God is still faithful. Let's continue. Look at this. By faith, Moses' parents... Can you imagine? It's, it's easy for us to watch the Prince of Egypt and all the beautiful songs and all the great actors' voices and go, wow, so, so epic. Or Charleston Heston, right, with that voice, and go, of course, it was so great back in time. But Moses' parents were just parents that were there because of, you know, life dragged them over there. 
and uh, they didn't choose to do the way life the way that they did. But then it was Pharaoh that stood over them, didn't it, and said, "We got to get rid of these boys." And by faith, they put Moses in a basket. Can you imagine, for those of you who have children, putting your baby in a basket right now, only to have what happen? To have your baby delivered back to you. That's amazing. And then, of course, by faith, Moses, as we went through the book of Exodus, how much did Moses have to hear from God and then just trust God? In the morning, there's going to be pancake mix on the ground. Don't worry, you won't be hungry. Just pick up that pancake mix. And you'll eat it and be fine. Okay, in the morning, there'll be quail. You have chicken and waffles. By faith, just trust me, it's coming. Well, we're out in the desert. There's not even a tree around. What am I supposed to do, Lord? How am I supposed to feed these people? Touch the rock, water will flow, and I'll take care of the food. By faith, their clothes never ran out. By faith, their shoes never broke down. By faith, they walked into the promised land and defeated giants. Why? Because the Lord justified them, not themselves. It was by faith the Lord provided, promised, and then provided. And that's where we are in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25. So if you can join me there, we will continue our study. It says here in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, the promise comes by faith. Oh. So that it may be by grace, and it may be guaranteed to all off Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, but to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say the, the person that has the law of Abraham or the circumcision of Abraham. It says the person who has the faith of Abraham, and that's who we are. Just so you guys know, as the father of our faith, Abraham, we are following Abraham as a great, 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 great grandfather. And what is the legacy that he left to us? Faith. So we are born into that family through spiritual faith. And that's who we're following. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And he is the father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. You know, the Bible describes every person in this room before Jesus Christ as dead in their sins. And then Jesus came into our life as, as we get out of the book of Galatians and we get into Ephesians. And then you were made alive in his grace. You were made alive by the spirit of the Lord coming and quickening your body and quickening your soul. Why? Because you could not justify yourself. And that's what it comes. Here you're reading, first there came a promise. This is the walk of the Christian. First there was a promise that was given to Abraham. And then what did Abraham do? He believed. And why did he believe? Because the promise wasn't accounted to what he was going to do. It was accounted to the promise maker. Just think about that. When you struggle with your faith, if you struggle with your belief and you wonder why you're shaking your faith, you're just like Abraham. But you have to understand one thing. David was really good at doing this in the, in the book of Psalms. You know what? I'm having the worst day, God. I'm paraphrasing. I'm having the worst day. These guys are the worst. If you allow me, I'll go kill them right now. Or maybe you should go kill them, God. That's how bad they are. They're annoying me so bad. But you know what, Lord? You promised to deliver me. You promised. And I trust you. And I have faith in you. So you do what you need to do, Lord, and I will be fine in your hands. That's a paraphrase of the Psalms over and over and over. And that didn't mean uh, David didn't have a new headache every day. It means he was delivered every day. And every day, God was faithful. And that's what we have to do. We have to understand who is our promise maker. Not the promises. Focus on the promise maker first. So here brings up our first point. Why do we have faith? This is the whole book of Romans. This is the summarization of the whole thing. Why do we have faith? 
because we believe God to be exactly who he promises to be. It's not just that he says nice things. It's not just that he makes us better people. It's just not that he makes us good. We actually believe him. And we don't believe him because he makes good on his promises. We believe him. I, I, I love this kind of a mindset that if you think through, um, if you think about the heart of God and how good he's been to you your entire life, if you could sit here and take inventory right now, think about all the times you told God, if you just take care of me, Lord, I'll never do that sin again, only to do it 10 minutes later. And then you had this prayer. Well, you knew how weak-willed I was, Lord, when you did that. You're throwing it back on God, right? You're just, but was God faithful? And did he keep pressing in? And did he keep pouring into you? That's the whole point. Our, our wrestle within our growing nature, our, our spiritual maturity with the Lord, the, the wrestle that Jacob had was, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, not, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen next. But Lord, if you just bless me, I know I'll be OK. The real word that Jacob was saying the night that he wrestled was like, don't leave me. Never leave me. I don't know how things are going to shake out, but I know I'll be OK if you never leave me. And I know you'll never leave me because I know your heart. Because if you heal my finances today, that's great. But what if I get sick later? I know you have a heart for my finances, but do you also have a heart for my sicknesses? We go back to the heart of God. Does he have a heart for it? Yes. Does he have a heart for your marriage? Yes. Does he have a heart for your relationships? Yes. Does he have a heart for your anxiety, for your fear? To conquer it with his love? Yes. Why do you lean on that? Because you know his heart. Because you know him. Can God be trusted? Is God telling the truth? And how do we get right with the Lord if he says, the only thing that you have to do is bring yourself to me? And I want you to think of how easy that is. Sometimes we, we try to categorize that. Well, what if what I bring isn't that great? I, you know, sometimes I, I, this is not disparaging towards the restaurant Taco Bell. I go to Taco Bell all the time. But I had a teenager tell me, go, how can you eat Taco Bell? And I said, well, what do you mean? I love Taco Bell. This is like, you know, they have a snack box. Everything comes in it. I mean, there's chalupas in there. There's churros in there. Everything. God is good. I, I, don't have to, I don't even have to hunt the menu down. I say, give me that snack box. They said, it says C-grade meat in there. And I was like, I don't even know what grade meat that is. Apparently, that's like dog food meat. And I was like, well, it tastes good, OK? So dog food tastes really good. But somebody said to me this way, how can you think of yourself as a C-grade Christian? You're, you're, you're sub below what you think. There's somebody out here, there's an A grade and B grade, and some, you're maybe down here D grade. Maybe you're an F grade Christian in your head, but the Lord says, that's who I want. And if you believe me and I have a heart for you, will you bring that to me and I will make you great? I will do the work. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're looking at yourself in this way, and somebody might need to hear this today, if it's you that's looking at your faith level, or if you're looking at your performance as a Christian, then you will have the escapability to say this to God, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. Look at the cross. That's the whole reason Jesus came, because you're not good enough. And so the grace that he pours out will be the same grace that he pours out on me, Craig, you, everybody in this crowd, the same amount of grace, because we all need that grace. And what's that grace? To wipe out all of our sins. Now, you could look at it and go, well, maybe there's degrees. Maybe there is degrees here on earth. But in heaven, what will we say? It's Jesus why I'm here. It's Jesus who called me. It's Jesus who invited me. It's Jesus who protected me. It's Jesus who saved me. And that's it. And so do you believe him when he says that our righteousness will never be enough, and the only thing that he will accept in its place is your faith? Just think about that. He requires righteousness. 
that we can't provide. So the only thing that we can do is now is just believe him when he says, I will provide it. You can't pay for it. I'll provide it. The only thing that we need to do is believe the truth. You know, it's funny. Um, we were out here the other day, and there was a bunch of squirrels that were running through these trees over here. And me and, and Joey and Charlie were out here. And uh, we were just trying to chase the squirrels and being funny. Uh, and, you know, they're digging and planting. It was kind of, you know, cute to watch them. And the boys were like, let's try to catch one. I'm like, please, exhaust yourself. You'll sleep good tonight. Try to catch the squirrels. So we're running around out there. And it was just amazing to me that out of nowhere, a hawk came and grabbed one before the boys did and just flew off. Now, I'm happy that the boys didn't see it because they're little and they're young. And that would have been traumatizing on a certain level. Because their backs were turned, I was like, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It happened. But I just think about this particular moment. Do you believe that there's this moment that God is in control of your life, that God can take you where he wants to go? Here's where faith looks like. Paul, Paul in the Bible, he, was, he thought he was serving the Lord well. He thought he was doing good. He was out there capturing Christians in the name of God, throwing them in jail, separating families, killing them. And yet the Lord was faithful to him. How? Why? Paul was captured on the road to Damascus by the spirit of the Lord who grabbed a hold of him and said, Paul, why are you doing this? I grab a hold of you. I knock you off your donkey. I grab a hold of you and go, where are you going? What are you doing? I want you with me. Don't you understand you're persecuting me? Don't you understand you're doing the wrong thing? Greater is this love that lays down their life. Jesus died for Paul as Paul was murdering his Christians. How faithful is that? Now, just think about, just as that squirrel was captured, that squirrel had a, had a, had a, a line item on his day, and that was a, today you're getting eaten by a hawk. Just think about that. Can we escape the Lord? Can we escape his call? How can we tell the Lord that anything's going to be different for us today? When the Lord grabs a hold of you, it's up to him what he's going to do. And what can we do? By grace, we can just submit. And by his righteousness, live by him. He's in control. That's it. And do you believe him when he says, you're not doing well. You need me. I don't need you. You need me. I don't need your help. I don't need you to rewrite the Bible. I don't need you to rewrite how we do things here at church. What I need you to do is hear me, listen, follow, and believe. And that's why we say those things. Look at Romans chapter 3. This is the case that was made um, already. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith and not by the works of the law. And just as Paul was captured on the road to Damascus, it was the same way Jonah was captured by the Lord, wasn't he? Think about Jonah's story. Jonah was offered by God. You need to not offered, voluntold. I need you to go over to these Syrians. I need you to preach the gospel and they'll get saved. And because Jonah had faith in God, he said, I don't want to go over there because those low down, dirty people don't deserve your gospel. And the reason why we don't, they don't deserve that gospel is because they've been so mean to everybody. And I won't get too graphic today, but the Assyrians were known for capturing slaves and putting hooks in their mouth and dragging them back to Assyria hooks in the mouth. Just think about how, how far it is from Israel to here. It's a long, long way. Think about this. They would, they, would, they would make skin gates. They would take people's skins and make gates, and they would do that to taunt other people. And, and he was like, you know, I'm going to a city where I might see the bones of my ancestors that were dragged out of here that were put on display over there, and you want me to witness the people? And the Lord said, yes, I want you to. And Jonah ran away. Did he get very far? Where did he end up? right back to where we're supposed to go. Why? Is it our will or his will? Who's in control? And do you have faith that it's a good thing? Think about this. The faithfulness of God never gave up on Jonah as much as it never gave up on the Assyrians. He shook his fists at God and said, I will not do this. I will not do this thing. And yet God was faithful and said, no, we're doing this together. 
We're doing this together. You are not going to win God's affections over by your works. You're going to win him over by your faith. And that faith has already been applied to you. Why what? What is the truth? Do you need Jesus Christ? Was it given to you on the cross? One plus one is two. You plus Jesus. It will always equal God's righteousness. You plus nothing, you plus no Jesus, you plus yourself, you you plus your own religion, you plus whatever you think is great will never equal righteousness. It's the math, we're just looking at the truth. Look at the, the previous verse on Romans chapter three, verse 27 on the screen. Where there is boasting, it is excluded because of what? Law. The law that requires work? No, because the law that requires faith. Just think of what he's saying. Abraham was saved by faith in God's promise. And because Abraham believed, he followed. And because he followed, what happened? The world was changed. The world was changed because of one reason. Not because he was capable. Not because Abraham was smart. Not because Abraham had any special skills or was handsome or anything. The only reason that the world was saved is because he heard the Lord and he believed. And in faith, he was justified. And this is long before even the law of Moses was even written. Long before that. You know, the, the laws weren't even written for another 400 years, 430 years. So was he living by the Ten Commandments? No. What was he living by? Faith in that God was good. And so that's what we're looking at today. And we're going to kind of get down into the nuts and bolts of this because I realize that we do this a lot. We talk a lot about faith, but we don't actually talk about what faith is. We just say, have faith. Well, I'm laying in my, I'm laying in my deathbed. What is it? Just have faith. If you have enough faith, God will rescue you. I actually hear this a lot. I actually heard this from a friend. I had a phone call from a friend um, where I grew up in, in South Florida, and he's going to a particular church, and he was really down. And I said, what's going on? He goes, well, you know, my mom's sick, and she's, you know, on her way out. And I said, I'm so sorry. And he go, I go, but you know the Lord's going to be good to you, and she's going to heaven, and I know it's bittersweet. And he goes, I, he's like, I wish she just had more faith. I wish, I wish he had enough faith to activate, is what he actually said. I wish he had enough faith to activate the Holy Spirit. And I just want to let you know the two stories I just told you. When the Lord does what he wants to do, does it really matter what the level of faith that you have? Paul had faith. He had faith he was doing the right thing. Did God take him another direction? God took him in the right direction because God was faithful to Paul, not because Paul was doing something right or wrong. It was God's faithfulness. Think about Jonah. Jonah was doing the wrong thing. And what did he do? He took him a whole nother way because God was faithful to Jonah. And God was faithful to the Syrians. And God was faithful to Joseph. And God was faithful to his brothers. So we have to kind of look at it this way. What is biblical faith? Faith is focusing on one particular fact. And we're going to discuss that today. The biblical faith looks like this. We have an object of our faith. And that faith is God. So I want you to focus on that word. We have a faith in an object, and that object of our faith is God. We don't have faith in a promise by itself. We don't have faith in us activating the Holy Spirit because we have faith in the promise. There's only one thing that is faithful that brings faith. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus Christ the author and perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus. He writes your faith into you. So the faith, biblical faith is believing the object of our faith who is God. I want to give you kind of an idea of how this looks. Do you ever remember uh, the greatest, one of the greatest theological shows ever, Popeye? You remember that show? <laughs> remember there was a gentleman named Wimpy. Does anybody remember Wimpy? One of my favorite characters of all time. Does anybody remember what Wimpy used to say? I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I, and it's like, I just, if you just give me the money. If you just loan me the money, I'll have it for you Tuesday. Now, here's the idea is that if you were to work with someone and they were to say, 
First time, first time, if you just loan me the money, I'll get the hamburger today, I'll pay you back Tuesday. You're like, oh, okay. And then they pay you back Tuesday. And then they do it again. And they do it again. And every whatever day of the week, you're giving them a hamburger, which is way too many hamburgers. And then every Tuesday, they're paying you back. Eventually, you stop looking at the promise and you start looking at the person. And if they ask you for something different, you would probably, if you build up an experience and a relationship, you would say that they are good for it. They're good for it. Them. It's not their promise. It's the promise maker. You see, that's what faith is. That's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is, I have faith in a God because I trust him because he has proven to be who he said he was going to be. And Romans has taken us from the beginning. He's proven to be who he said he's going to be because first, he's our creator. And second, he gave us life. Third, then he offered us salvation. And fourth, he continually sanctifies us. And then everything else is just sprinkles on the ice cream cone, right? Because if he's taking us from here to eternity, what's anything else, right? If he saved your mortal soul and sends you to eternity with, with him in heaven forever, what, what's on the list that's higher than that? Well, Lord, I have a really bad hangnail today. And it's really bugging me. It really hurts. Can you help me with it? That's way lower on the list than your salvation, Right? How about, oh, I'm really hungry. I'm really hangry right now. I'm yelling at everybody. Could you provide a meal? How about the doctor called and I had something bad. I had a bad report. Just think about that. Where does that sit versus salvation? And did he already do the heavy lifting on salvation? So who is this person, if he's going to save you, if he's going to provide for you, are you locked in on the situation? Are you locked in on the condition? Are you locked in on the bad news? Are you locked in on this? The promise maker has given me a promise and he will make good. This is why Paul went through these words. You know, to live is, is Christ. If I live and, and I go around the world and I get stoned and if I get bit by a snake, if I get into a, a boat wreck and all these bad things happen to me, but people are getting saved and the Holy Spirit is working through me, hey, it's still all hunky-dory because it's me and Jesus and we're changing the world because God has been faithful. He said, go here and my spirit will go with you. And the world has changed, not because of me, but because of the Christ in me. So to live is Christ. But if I die, see y'all, I'm out of here. You know why? Because I'm in heaven with him. So either way, God has been faithful. Never left my side. Never left my side here. Never left my side there. And that same God is the God that's operating me. So when I present my needs to him, I'm not looking at, will he answer this? I'm, about, I'm coming with expectation is, what is this faithful God going to do now? And where should I go with him? Because he's been so faithful to me, I'll follow him anywhere. And that's what we're saying here. Look at Abraham uh, had obstacles himself, and that's who we've been focused on. Abraham had a few obstacles. First is that he was promised to have a son, and his son would come to him at the age of 100. At 75, God came to him and said, hey, by the way, you're going to have a baby boy. And he was like, that's great. I'm 75. And then God said, chill your jets, buddy. You're going to have to wait 25 more years. I like, I like triple digits. I want the world to know that I've done a special work because you're going to be 100 years old. You know, I looked up in uh, the Guinness Book of World Records because I used to know that there was a lady who gave birth and she was, I think it was 68 years old she had a kid. And I was like, whoa, 68 years old. That Just hearing that makes me tired. Uh, but then it's just come to find out that there's somebody older. She was somebody in India, I think, was 72 years old and she had twins. Oh my gosh. The amount of prayer I poured out on that lady at that moment. But this thing about this, Sarah was 90. So the Guinness Book of World Records was wrong. 
just by the way. But here's the one thing. That's the physical thing. It's one thing for the Lord to promise you something amazing in the physical, right? And say, here, here's your baby, right? So he has a baby and that's a miraculous. And we can see that there could be this moment. Maybe it's science. Maybe it's, maybe I ate something crazy one night and I thought God promised me a baby and we had a baby. That's not the only blessing. The biggest blessing is that the exact baby that God gave you was going to be the beginning of a nation that would produce a whole new relationship with God, which would then produce the son of God himself, Jesus Christ. How do you predict that? And then on top of that, how do you become the legacy of that? You have to know who the object of your faith is. It's not that I just have a baby boy, but I have the right baby boy. And that baby boy is as anointed as me. And then he goes on and anoints his children. And the Holy Spirit just flows through us as a family till we create the nation of Israel. Can you imagine being put in charge of that? And that's where you see the object of the faith was bigger than the obstacle of the faith, which brings us to our second point. Biblical faith is not just believing in the object of our faith, who is God, but it's also not trying to overcome the obstacles with our own personal faith. Remember my friend, he was saying, you know what? I wish my mom had just enough faith then she could activate the Holy Spirit. And I was like, yeah, but if the Holy Spirit wants her in heaven, then she's going to heaven. And if the Holy Spirit wants here on earth, she'll be here on earth. And that's the thing that you have to do is put the object of your faith. Where is the Lord taking me inside of this? And I think that sometimes in the church, we get caught up in this thing where we just like, we think that we're a failure because here's these bad things that are happening to us and we don't have enough faith. I would say this too, but maybe you don't have enough knowledge of who God is. Because you know what's not going to save you? Faith in faith. Faith in faith is nothing. That's like zero times zero. Really, it is. If you think about it, faith in faith is not what gets the Lord moving. Faith in God and who he is and what his heart is for you. Look at the cross and go, is my promise maker for me? Absolutely. So what else you got for me today, Lord? And that's what it's important to us to know. We can't wield faith like a weapon towards the things that we want to wield it towards. Because if you look at Jonah, what did he say? As faith, I'm going to remove my faith from this situation because God, I know you're so faithful that if I do preach the word, the Assyrians will get saved. And so I have so much faith in your faithfulness, I'm going the other way. I'm removing my faith. I'm pulling myself out of it. And the Lord goes, it's not dependent on your faith, Jonah. Get in that whale. We're writing a whole new chapter of the book of Jonah today. How many times has your faithfulness not been at the level or going the wrong way and the Lord had to redirect you because of his faithfulness, he did it. You know, it's like, uh, you ever had a friend that um, is leaning into you and you're like, maybe they just had lunch and maybe they had too much garlic or maybe they have a lettuce leaf. You ever have one of those people have like a lettuce leaf wrapped around their tooth? And now you have the opportunity to be the good friend, to either not say anything or lean in and go, you have a giant lettuce leaf wrapped around your tooth and I can't hear a word you're saying. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this question. When you lean in and say those words, are you helping them out? Is it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but is it for their benefit? And you know what that friend will always know? That was a little uncomfortable, that situation, but they will think of you as a faithful friend to say what other people won't. And I know that's a silly look, a little illustration, but you have to think about biblical faith is not trying to do something by ourselves. And the Lord is going, every time you're trying to do something on your own, you're getting frustrated because you're not good enough. And then when you're failing, you're comparing your Christianity to everybody else, but you're not looking at your own heart to say this, is my heart aligned to the faithfulness of God? 
Is my heart being directed by the faithfulness of God? Do I trust God enough to let him make me a little uncomfortable and take me places where that I might change the world because of his faithfulness, because of his power, because of his grace in me? I, I, I read this story and it was really, really amazing. Um, this is kind of like sums up everything that we're talking about. Um, I read the story of this little girl in France. She wrote this account. Um, uh, the Germans were coming into uh, France and they were bombing the cities and uh, their, their house got bombed. And one side of the house is bombed and now it's dad. Mom was, was somewhere else. I think mom had to go somewhere to get a family member. And so it's just the dad and all of the kids. And the, older, the oldest kid was a girl and she's rallying the kids and she's hovering and dad comes in the room and goes, I found a way out, okay? There's a hole on the other side of the, of the house where a bomb hit. And I think it opened up to what we would call like catacombs or some kind of underground system, but something old, medieval. And he goes, we're gonna go down in there and we're gonna escape out of the city. So the kids all run to the edge of the house but the thing is, they're on the second floor, and the hole is down on the first floor. So the dad goes down in there, and he, he, it's at nighttime, so he drifts into darkness. The, you know, houses are on fire. You know, there's some moonlight, but you can't see down in that hole. And the dad calls up to the daughter and says, jump. And she says, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't see you. I don't know what's down there. And he says the most amazing thing that reminds me of Jesus Christ today. He says, doesn't matter if you can see me, I can see you. I can see you. I can see right where you're at. I can see the situation you're in. I just need you to jump. That's your participation. You're not going to catch yourself when you go down. I am. You're not going to carry yourself through these catacombs. I am. Let's think about that's a level of idea that we could say sometimes, if she just had a little bit of faith, she could go to the edge of that wall and jump off. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Why? Because the dad will take care of her. See, sometimes we come into church and we might see somebody else and we don't know the situation. Remind you, everything that we see is on the surface until the Lord reveals to us. But your level of your faith is not going to save you. The intensity of your faith isn't going to save you. The amount of faith that you have is not going to save you. There's only one thing that's going to save you, who you have your faith in. And when he says jump, will you jump? And he says, I'll take care of you. Will you believe him for that? I just think about this all the time. We have so much words for faith. We have words like, Lord, if I, if, I, if I never do this again, will you bless me over here? No. No. You don't do that thing anymore because you love God because of his faithfulness, and that propels you. to. You're not negotiating with God. We're not negotiating with the lover of our soul. We're not negotiating of the father of us as children. We're hearing and we're listening, and he's telling us the truth. You're sick. You are sick with a disease and it's called sin and unfaithfulness. And if you would just jump, I will catch you and I will be the cure. There's no way to earn this because if you earn it, you'll lose it. And then if you lose it and you're going through this roller coaster of your life, then guess what? You're not standing on the solid ground, which is the rock that'll never move, that'll never leave you, that will never forsake you. It's me, Jesus Christ. And the confession that I am your savior, you will always be saved. And when you ask for forgiveness, you will always be forgiven. Why? Not because we're faithful, but because he is. Will you just jump? Just think about this. Basically, what we're looking at in Abraham's life right now is um, people kind of attribute, especially the people that uh, Paul is writing to, is saying that they had the Jewish people would actually call themselves the circumcised people. That's kind of a way, right? Can you imagine going to a country club? Like, whoa, 
do you belong here? I'm like, well, I'm circumcised, you know, so I'm a VIP member, you know, let me in. That's how they identified themselves. But Paul is making the case right here. And he would say this, and I just want to put this in your mind. There's going to be plenty of circumcised people in hell. There's going to be plenty of people who took communion that will be in hell. There'll be plenty of people that'll be gone to baptism, confirmation. That doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is if you believed that you were who you, God said you were, and you believed that he was who he said he was, and that you needed him, and he caught you when you jumped. Which then brings us to our next point. Biblical faith is, is, is believing in the object of our faith who's God and then not, not trying to overcome the obstacles of our faith, obstacles to our faith by our own faith. But the last point here, biblical faith is trusting God with the outcome of our faith in him. So the first is we need to know who our object is. We need to know what our obstacles are. And then we need to trust God with the outcome. I want you to think about all the verses that we just read in Romans uh, chapter 4. And I want you to hear at the very end, um, as you're writing that note down, it says here, He is our Father in the sight of God in whom we believe, the God who gives life to the dead and calls him into, thing, into being things that were not. Just a quick story about uh, Abraham. You know, Abraham, his original name was Abram. And Abram means like, this is kind of cool. It's like a Viking name. It's like high father or exalted father. You know, it sounds really cool. Like the chieftain of the village. And then God's like, I don't like that name. And Abram's like, that's great because I don't have any kids. So why would somebody name me father, high father? And he goes, but I'm going to name you a new name, Abraham. You know what that means? Father of many nations. Abraham's like, great. Why would you do that, Lord? And it's because you're going to have a kid. And you're going to have a kid and you're going to have him by faith. And I want you to know that when Sarah had heard that, remember, Sarah's faith wasn't even as, as ahead like Abraham's faith. Sarah heard that, and she goes, I'm 90. And she laughed. When, when, how is this womb going to produce a baby? And Abraham's like, I don't know. Well, I don't know. We're just going to have to have faith, and we're just going to have to follow the Lord. And then they had that baby. And then that one day, they had that baby. That baby turned to be 14 years old, so he grew up to be a young man. And by that time, you were a young man at 14. And then the Lord said, I need, you to sacrifice Abra- I need you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham's like, what are you doing, Lord? You, you said that I would be the father of many nations. This child is a child of promise. Why would you give me this baby only not to let him be released to me fully in life? Now you want me to sacrifice him. And the Lord's like, do you have faith? And he said, yes, I do. And they went all the way up to the mountain, and Isaac is putting the wood together for the altar. And Isaac is saying, okay, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, it's you. And it says right there at the edge of 16, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 17, it says, um, I have made you the father of many nations. He's the father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead. You know, he, Abraham believed in resurrection at this point. Never seen it. Never even heard of it. But he believes in it now. Why? Because he believed in the promise maker. And he calls into being things that were not, right? Now look what happens because of his faith. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Why? Why did he become the father of nations? Because he believed. And just as it's been said to me, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, meaning he was not just old and 100, but his body wouldn't be able to produce. 
a child. And since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God, that God, I don't know what you're facing in your life right now, but that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you see what happened? He had faith and God credited to him as righteousness. You hand God faith, he gives you righteousness. The kind of righteousness that God has. You think about this. If you were like, I would like to have the kind of righteousness that Joey has. And I would tell you, no, that's a mistake. I would like to have the kind of righteousness that Billy Graham would have. And the Lord would tell you, no, that's a mistake. What if the Lord said, if you just have faith, I'll give you Jesus' righteousness. Wow. Wow. Look at verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written for, not for him alone, but also for everybody in Calvary Chapel, Sebastian, here on a Wednesday night. To whom will be credited righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Do you hear how awesome that is? The mere moment that you realize this, that there was a penalty for your sin, and that's the reason Jesus came, was to pay for that penalty, and you realize that he not only had the power to do it, he had the willingness to do it. In fact, he had the care and concern. Can you imagine this moment? Sometimes you could look at God as a, just an angry taskmaster looking over you and going, the reason why you suffer is because you sin. And the reason why, you know, thing, bad things happen to you is because you're not as awesome as a Christian as other people. Or you could look at Jesus Christ looking at you with care and concern from the cross and go, I not only want to take care of salvation, I want to take care of your whole life. And if I don't do this, you won't receive the righteousness that will help bring you into a position so you could see the heart of the promise maker so you don't run away from me in shame, you run to me in hope. Sometimes we are so caught up in our failure that we run away from God. We don't realize that God's chasing us down and saying, it's my faithfulness, not yours. If you just jump in my arms, you'll see. This is why James chapter 2, 23 says this, and I want you to see the very end of the verse. It's so amazing. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I want you to focus on the last word. And he was called God's friend. Amazing. Do you hear the care and concern in the word of James? He's saying, because the Lord loves you so much, he draws you in by grace. He draws you in by righteousness. He pulls you close to his heart so that you can understand how much he's for you and not against you. And your performance is not going to waver. You're no closer to God than the moment than when you say this, be my Messiah. Your performance doesn't count. Be my Messiah. I've had a bad day. I said a couple cuss words on the way over here at church. That guy cut me off. Traffic is getting so bad on 512. You're still, still no different. God still loves you. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't do as good with my devotions this week. God still loves you. He's still faithful. He's promoting his love in you. He's showing you the way. Why? So that you could see this, that he is your friend. Nobody sticks closer than a brother who lays down their life, right? I will call you friend. I will call you friend. And so we have to see that this is what the Lord is saying. I want you to realize how close I am to you. I want you to realize how much I love you. I don't want you to get caught up in the obstacles to your faith. I don't want you to worry about the outcome of your faith. I want you to leave that to me. What I want you to focus is on me as the object of your faith. It's not your faith, it's his faith. And nothing can separate you from him, not even physically or spiritually. Just think about that. How far is the distance that God would go to save you? 
all the way to hell. All the way through the cross. All the way through your sin. All the way through your rebellion. Does God love you? Is he faithful to you? Has he ever given up on you? Never once. And that's why he calls us into this relationship of faith is so that you could understand his heart for you and how much he loves you. But also to say this, you know him by his love, not by his chastisement. You know him not by him saying you're a failure or you, you didn't do this right or here's your spiritual report card. It stinks. Check out the comments. There's some special things for you down there. No, what does he say? You were born into a spiritual family of faith and you will be in the legacy of love that I have provided for you because I am a loving father and you are my children and I call you friend. Today is the day that we say this. The difference between us and the rest of the world is that we're willing to jump in his arms with faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you're in control. God, I thank you so much. Every time I open up the news, I go, Lord, thank you that you are in control. But Lord, I'm more importantly, I'm so glad that you're in control over my life. I'm so glad that you're good to me. I'm so glad that you are the object of my faith and I don't have to look at my circumstances and wonder how you feel about me. Like, is this, is this a punishment? Is this something that I've done? Is this something I've earned? Is this, is this you telling me that I'm not good enough? No, I was never good enough. I just had to stop and pray to you and recalibrate this moment. God, you are always faithful. You were faithful to me in my sin. You're faithful to me in my righteousness. You're faithful to me in my rebellion. You're faithful to me in my forgiveness. All I have to do is run to you, face you, and call you Messiah. I believe I need you. And I believe that you not only have the power to save, you have the willingness and the heart to save, and you are good. And I love you, Lord, and I know you love me. And Lord, I am so privileged and honored to say this. As a person who was full of sin, as a person who put you on the cross with his sin, it's amazing. It's wonderful to call you friend. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.